on Sunday nights. Uh, we had a thing in the bulletin last week, but the, starting the Sunday night after Easter, so two weeks, uh, we're going to start the Truth Project. I haven't seen it, so if you have questions in particular about the Truth Project, he's the guy to ask. But uh, our plan right now would be to meet um, on Sunday evenings. We've already got some interest based on uh, the bulletin insert last week. But I think we'll start out by meeting here, either maybe in the classroom next door where they have a screen, or maybe in the cafe if it's not that big. If it's uh, if we don't get that big a crowd, then we may uh, go back to our original plan of meeting at somebody's house. We've been meeting at the Jesse's lately, which is not that far away. And uh, just wanted to uh, it'd be it'd be Sunday evenings about six o'clock, with about two hours a night probably to get yeah. through the lesson and discussion and eating and all that good stuff whatever we do. So uh, if you're interested, uh, you can talk to me, you can talk to Dave, you can talk to Jesse's. Uh, but uh, be starting up, it would be kind of nice to, to know if you're interested in coming. Uh, as far as we've had some questions about younger people, uh, we would say, just based on people who have seen the series, says, uh, yeah, you know, um, maybe junior high at the minimum and up would understand it or get something out of it. If you've got younger kids that are well-behaved and can, you know, sit and read or something and, you know, without being totally disrupted, you'd be certainly welcome. You had a question, Tim? You mentioned the evening. Well, we, 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 we usually do some kind of a snack, but not necessarily a potluck meal type thing. All the time. Well, you missed our potluck meal. You, you missed our potluck meal last Sunday night. You should have responded, you know. Crank it up to a potluck. No, no, no. Crank it up to a week. Snacks are hearty. Oh, that's the other thing. It's what? It's 13 lessons? 12 lessons. 12 lessons. 12 lessons. And normally our growth group would go every other Sunday, but in order to make this thing meaningful and continuity with it, we're going to go every Sunday night to get through it, and that'll get us done in time for a summer break. Because we, if we uh, went every other week, this thing would stretch out six months, so we don't want to do that. But uh, yeah. One other question. Okay. You're full of questions. The Truth Project is really good. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. Great. And it's really thought-provoking. Are you going to have time to talk about it, too? Oh yeah, well, yeah. well, we're not just going to watch the video and go away. We will discuss. If it goes, if it goes over it, two it hours, takes like an hour or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's why I mean, we allow ourselves. If it goes over two hours, that's not a problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll at some point, you know, if it gets to be 11, 12 o'clock, we'll, we'll, we'll cut it off. But you know, are you but, there too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've done this before in a similar group, and. Uh, 
you know, we'll have party snacks for those that are coming like from work. Or, but yeah, if, if it turns out that uh, a meal, you know, a proper meal is more appropriate, then we'll do a proper meal so it can be a y'all come. The idea is we want people to come and hear this material. So. What time is it? We'd start at 6, I think, right? That sound good? 6 o'clock? Show up at 6, probably video starts at 6.30. Well, yeah, usually what we do when we're meeting in our homes is you show up at 6 and we stand around eating uh, nachos or whatever, you know, or chicken wings or something for a while and visiting and then get started by 6.15, 6.30, so. But, so. If just one to advertise, so let one of us know if you're interested. We just would like to get kind of a temporary count, if you will. But uh, we'll start in two weeks. Thanks. <laughs> It's a it's a great uh, a great series, um, and it very it is very thought provoking. It asks a lot of the worldly questions that we ask in this class, for example. Um, yeah, there was something I was going to add on to that. And I don't remember what it was. Why don't we turn to uh, Psalm forty this morning? Just trying to uh, trying to think what would be a a picture in words. Which David was very masterful at, at uh, creating of God's loving kindness in the midst of um, great trial or uncertainty um, or both, and we got to think of what's happening in David's uh, life uh, at this point in time as we're working through First Samuel. We uh, we just finished chapter eighteen, and we're gonna. Go through chapter nineteen twenty this morning, um, and in many ways it's like a soap opera. You know, you can think of it as uh, as the stomach churns. <laughs> you and and the reason I say it's like a soap opera is because look at how many times the name of the Lord is mentioned in the course of some of the dialogue we see this morning, and where you see the name of the Lord mentioned, it's around His loving kindness and around covenant. And uh, so I thought we would start with Psalm 40, um, which is one of my favorite psalms. I know I say that about all of them. But, uh, <laughs> would somebody like to read Psalm 40 for us this morning? Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. No one can recount to you were I to speak and tell of them. They were too many to declare. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, Almighty God. Your laws, your law is in is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth in the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. 
My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to, sh into, be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back into disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha! Aha! be appalled by their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, The Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. Amen. Um, the more I, I look at that, the more I really realize that that is um, what's going on in David's life at this point in time. Um, not, you know, we don't have the dates of when some of these were written. We know that this was written fairly early, but that's in, in his walk with the Lord, but we don't know exactly when. Um, if you were to give uh, an NPAA rating to the Bible, uh, what, would, what would you rate it? Would you rate it G, PG, PG-13, R, X? PG-13, I heard. I, I would probably give it an R rating. And, uh, and that surprises people. When you think about how we uh, view motion pictures today and uh, how we rate them and what we would consider appropriate for our children, there's material in the Bible that challenges us as adults and yet we think, how, how is this appropriate for children? How can we train them up in, in the way of the Lord? And that's one of the things that we see as we move through Samuel, is that there's stuff in here that, you know, we don't even talk about around the dinner table, let alone we wouldn't expect to talk about it in, in church. And yet, these are very important lessons, and that's why I said it's kind of like a soap opera, and we need to understand that most soap operas are rated R or PG-13. And, uh, and, and you see that in the Bible. It's appropriate to address some of these issues, and we do it uh, tastefully, um, but we want to understand what it is that the Lord's getting at when he reveals his things. Not everything that is recorded is endorsed by God. So... He's not suggesting that some of the things that we see uh, or read about here uh, is appropriate behavior. But nonetheless, it's revealed to us for a purpose. And so we want to keep that in mind. Last week we were looking at uh, chapter 18 uh, in 1 Samuel. Uh, who can sum up what's going on in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel? Anybody? Saul's jealousy of David. There you go. That's the phrase that really captures uh, one of the one of the major themes that's going on and is revealed here. There's a, a revelation about Saul's heart and his disqualification as king, and a revelation about David through the eyes of others, through the eyes of Saul's family, through the eyes of the people, through the eyes of uh, David's. Uh, wife, uh, 
as it turns out. And uh, you see David's heart being revealed through what others think about him and what they believe and and how they uh, embrace him. And then you see Saul's jealousy and the bitterness and the destruction of Saul's soul being revealed. So we, we looked at uh, a covenant between Jonathan and David. We looked at uh, how uh, as David went out to battle for Saul, for the people, um, and representing God as God had made him, uh, the people uh, were very excited about that and got behind him. Uh, in Saul's jealousy, he tries to trick David uh, by putting him out in front as a commander in his army, and then trying to trick him uh, through marriage and coming up with a bride price for his daughter, Michal. And uh, one of the things that you see repeated, uh, and it's repeated three times in chapter 18, is that the Lord was with David, and the Lord was against Saul. So you see that in uh, verse 12, for the Lord was with him, David, that had departed from Saul. Verse 14, David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. Um, And when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. And in verse uh, 28, when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. So there was a change that happened in Saul's heart where David was uh, now an enemy. And uh, what we see here, like I said, this is like a soap opera playing out. And we're going to see how Saul, on one hand, um, tries to keep the look good thing going. Even as he tells people about David, his own son Jonathan. Even though in his heart he really is an enemy and wants to destroy David. So we're going to go ahead and read through a very large passage this morning. Uh, We're going to read through chapter 19 and 20. And I'd like you to look for where uh, the word of the Lord, or the word, the phrase, the Lord, is used. So where God's name is mentioned in scripture, and, and where it isn't. It says, now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. That seems pretty straightforward. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. (coughs) Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. And if I find out anything, then I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, in other words, he makes a promise, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. So David was restored. When there was uh, war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines, and defeated them with great slaughter. 
so that they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp with his hand. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he stuck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. Michal took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair on its head and covered it with clothes. Then uh, when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me on his bed, that I may put him to death. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed, with the quilt of goat's hair at its head. So Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michal said to Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I put you to death? Now David fled and escaped, and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. uh, It was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. uh, Then Saul sent messengers to take David. But when they saw the company of prophets prophesying with Samuel, standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came as far as the large well that is in Secu. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. He proceeded there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth and Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father, my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Yet David bowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon. And I ought to sit down and eat with the king, but let me go, that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. If he says, it is good, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, know that he has decided on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For why then should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, Far be it from you. For if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided in, uh, by my father to come upon you, then I would, not, uh, would I not tell you about it? 
Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, I shall not... Uh, Shall I not send to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away, that you may go in safety, and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord, that I might not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever." not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David bow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day, and you shall remain by the stone itself. I will shoot three arrows to the side, as though I shot at a target, and behold, I will send the lad, saying, Go, find the arrows. If I specifically say to the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come, for there is safety for you, and no harm as the Lord lives." But if I say to the youth, Behold, the arrows are beyond you, go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. Uh, then Jonathan rose up, and Abner sat down by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, it is an accident. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. It came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan then answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of, of me to go to Bethlehem. For he said, Please, let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now, if I have found favor in your sight, please let me go away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. <laughs> and you got to read some other translations of that. This is, this is the R part of the Bible. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. <laughs> Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David, and a little lad was with him. He said to the lad, Run now, find the arrows which I am about to shoot. As the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him. 
When the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan shot, Jonathan called after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the lad, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. But the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and said to him, Go and bring them to the city. When the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. They kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety, inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be, uh, will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while uh, Jonathan went into the city. This is, uh, there's only one more meeting between David and Jonathan after this. And even though they were fast friends, um, this was the end of their relationship in many respects. Other than uh, Jonathan coming to David to encourage him when his father's trying to kill him. There's one, one more episode where Jonathan actually comes to him and says, don't lose heart. Uh, I know my dad's you know, right behind me and he's trying to kill you, but the Lord's with you. Um, so we have this long uh, narrative about uh, Saul's jealousy being uh, provoked to the boiling point where he is uh, using outright deception, breaking his promise. He makes a promise to his son, says, you know, as sure as the Lord lives, in other words, I swear by God, I'm not going to kill David. Right? Now that may have been somewhat prophetic. Because he didn't kill David. Right? But it was in his heart, his intent was to take David out. And when Jonathan pushed the issue, that's exactly what came out. And you read about uh, all of this intrigue and, and soap opera. First you have Jonathan uh, getting David in, in close proximity and having this conversation with his father so that David can overhear because uh, that's what it says, that David was, was close by, and that he uh, speaks well of David in Saul's presence so that Saul would be convinced that David is not his enemy and that he would make this declaration and David would hear it and realize, oh, okay, Saul, his anger is passed. Uh, he has a problem with spears, but, you know, I'll go back and, and play the harp and, uh, and, and fight for Israel. And my king, because you've got to remember, David is loyal. He's loyal to the king. And Saul at this time is the king. And he's loyal to Jonathan, even though Jonathan has pledged his fealty to David. You recall that Jonathan took off his robe, gave him his, uh, his weapons, his, his belt, everything that he had, uh, as um, a demonstration that he was uh, David's servant, not David being his servant. But David at this point in time, is still uh, taking the servant's role 100%. And you read that language as we move through here. And that's David's heart. He's there to serve Jonathan. He's there to serve Saul. He's there to serve the people of Israel. And so we see him doing that. He goes back and he fights for the Philistines and he defeated them. And, uh, and it was a great uh, victory. And that really ticks Saul off. And I gotta, every time I read something like this, I think, now, where was Saul when David's out there fighting the battle? He was not there. What's the job of the king? Why was the king even appointed 
uh, for the people by God. What's the job of the king? Pardon? To lead the people. But how is he to lead? To, to lead the people in war? Uh, yep, service. Uh, Karen said to serve, protect, and provide. And what, and, and I love that because that's what you see on the, the side of a police car. Right? Yeah, except for the provision part. To serve and protect. But the king was also to provide for the people. And uh, we certainly understand that in the picture of God as our king, that he is there to, to serve and protect and provide. And Jesus illustrated that to the point of taking on um, the lowest uh, point in servitude, washing someone's feet. Um, so we, we understand that that's what the king was supposed to do, and Saul never did that. He hoarded to himself, built his own kingdom. Um, he would put others out in front of him to protect him and to serve him. And so David is doing exactly what the king should do. And he goes out and he takes on the Philistines and he's successful. The Lord is with him. And as much as the Lord is with David, he's against Saul. Because you read as uh, in verse 9, it says, Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp. So David goes out to war. He's doing that which he's uh, been asked to do. Then he comes back and he's serving in the court of the king. He's actually playing music because you recall Saul had psychological problems and needed to be soothed. Um, okay, so I don't have any daughters. Okay. But uh, in chapter 18, mm-hmm. in verse uh, 21, Saul says, and he's talking about giving Martha to David. Mm-hmm. Uh, or she, well, however she's I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. Right. Now, I don't know how many daughters, okay, but that doesn't sound like a very loving kind of a deal that he gives his daughter to be a snare to him. Yeah. So if you're and sitting there, on top of that, uh-huh. somehow, and I don't know if David's out of his house or not, but there's an idol in their house. Ah, I was wondering when that one was going to come up. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if she brought it, if she really wasn't. I, I mean, I don't know, but um, this is a weird story so far. It is, it is a weird story because, you know, David flees and he goes home. And he tells his wife, he says, your dad just tried to spear me again. You know, this is now at least a third time, probably several others. Um, I'm getting really tired of this. Um, this is really, really hard. Uh, he clearly wants to kill me. I don't care what he says. What he does demonstrates that he wants to kill me. And uh, his wife says, well, let me cook up this deception so that we can get you out of here tonight because if you stay, by morning you're dead. And so she comes up with this, uh, this scheme. And it's the classic scheme. Pardon? It was, and you don't typically read about these these idols being this large, but they um, actually have found idols like this that are that large and could be much larger. Um, usually, they're made out of stone if they get much larger, so it's not something you're going to like tote and throw in the bed. Um, but in this case, it was uh, an idol, um, so it's identified as something that is uh, that would not be appropriate for a Hebrew child to have, right? 
we don't know any more about it. There's no commentary on this idol, right? It's not uh, commented as being bad or good. What we see is that we see that Michal is looking around and saying, what can I do to deceive my dad? Oh, I know. I'll put this log in the bed, and I'll put a, a wig on it, and I'll cover it up with blankets so that when they come in, I can say, oh, my husband's sick. Leave him alone. See, he's there in the bed, you know, and uh, that's what's going on. So it is an idol, but we don't know anything more about it. But they're not supposed to have idols. They're not supposed to have idols. They're not supposed to lie either. They're not supposed to, when uh, the guard comes in and says, oh, my husband's sick, when actually she knows. She let him out through the window, right? She lowered him down such that he could escape. So she knows what's going on. And yet she intentionally she deceives, well, she intentionally deceives her father. She probably loved her father, too. So this is, this is a, hard, uh, a hard part of the Bible. And this, is, this came up last week. Is there ever a time when not telling the truth is justified? I'll ask the question again. We had the discussion last week. I'll give you lots of examples you know, Moses wouldn't have been here if the Hebrew uh, midwives would not have been deceptive because they were called in before Pharaoh and, and uh, they lied, outright lied to him and said, now the Hebrew women are very uh, vigorous and, and uh, they give birth before we get there. That was an outright lie, right? They were hiding the Hebrew children that were born. And then, then in the Bible it says, and God blessed them for it. He gave them families. So God's blessing a deception. And you, you read about that in a couple of places. You know, Rahab, here's one. David gets away. Is that okay? Well, take the issue of the idols, right? The word is terrible. Mm-hmm. With that, we know that all the teraphim were not necessarily foreign idols. They, a lot of times, were carvings in that to depict Yahweh. Right. Okay, in that, let's put it into the modern day. I had a nephew who went to the Nazarene College there in uh, uh, Indiana, and I got to see those original pictures of Jesus steering the ship with the guy, and, you know, going on these places. And ex-Catholic that I am, it creeps me out. I don't understand how certain pictures of Jesus or ways that we depict things are not seen as idolatry. Right. But see, different cultures pick up and say, well, just like the golden calf. The golden calf, they thought they were building something to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, again, when it comes to idolatry, um, we tend to overlook our own idolatry right. and, you know, look at what other people do. And, and, and that's very the true. Intent, it, the intent in the service means more than anything. And we, uh, there are many things that can cause an idolatrous heart, which is putting something else before God. <coughs> Excuse me, or misrepresenting who God is. Now, we know that in the history of the church, 
This became one of the major division points, was about idols and icons. And uh, the Eastern Church said, no, we were created in the image of God. Therefore, when we make icons or images, um, we're actually expressing who God is in creation. And it's appropriate for us to have all of these different paintings and ornamentals and statues. And it's even appropriate for you to go up and, and venerate those, to kiss the picture. That always surprised me. I went into the Russian Orthodox Church, and they have the, the picture up there, and people line up to kiss the picture, the, the icon. And they have an official uh, picture cleaner. So that somebody comes up and they smack the picture, and then they get out their Windex, okay, next. That's because that's Eastern tradition, and it has to do with an understanding of theology of being created in the image of God. They don't view that as idolatry. The Western church said, no, that's idolatry. You're creating an image of God, and that's been prohibited, according to Jewish tradition. Um, Which one is right? It caused a split in the church. We now have the Eastern Church, the Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox and and their tradition. And that was, by the way, uh, the direction that, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Constantine, what's his name? Constantine uh, sided with the Eastern Church, not the Western Church. And he actually moved the seat of the church to uh, to modern-day Istanbul, which is Constantinople. Right in ancient times, and that was all about that split in the in the formation. I mean, it actually took a, a several hundred years more for people to actually draw out the battle lines and say, "No, you guys are heretics," and the other side said, "No, you're heretics." Right. So here we have an issue of an idol. Maybe it was a, a, like a golden calf. Um, we don't know. What we know is is that um, we all do it. We need to pay attention to the state of our heart. What what is it that we're actually doing? Are we trying to create a a God that I carry with me in my pocket and that makes me invulnerable? Or do I place myself in the care of, uh, of the Lord of all creation that can create everything that you see out of nothing, out of a word, he can speak it into existence, and he sustains me. And cares for me. He has this loving kindness. The word is kesed. And it's one of the great words in the Bible. Um, Look up the word loving kindness. And see how many times it occurs in the Bible. In a description of God. And that's what we see being exchanged between David and Jonathan here. Is the expressed word kesed. They're talking about the loving kindness. That character of God that is expressed in mercy and compassion and love and all of the different ways that he cares for us. Now, if our heart is not there, then we have an idol. I don't care if it's, if it's football on Monday night or um, I used to carry around a rock in my pocket. And uh, the rock, I had a couple of different rocks. Um, yeah, at least they weren't in my head. Uh, <laughs> For me, the rock expressed a covenant that I had with a friend. And that we entered into a covenant like David and Jonathan. And the sign of that covenant was this little rock. 
and I kept it in my pocket until it was shiny and smooth and uh, it was a really cool rock. And then one day I got out of my car and I pulled out my keys or something like that and this rock went flying off somewhere. And I've never seen that rock since and I've missed that rock. <laughs> Is that an idol? Um, to me, this idea of covenant is uh, essential, not only to our relationship with God, but our, to our relationship with each other. And that's what's being told in this story. In the midst of this soap opera, you see a covenant made between David and Jonathan that is going to persist beyond Jonathan's death. That David is going to care for Jonathan's family. And he's not going to hold against uh, Jonathan's family, including his father, that is trying to kill him. Right? And he enters into a covenant, and David takes this covenant seriously. And both of these guys, as we read the story, remind the other one, remember, we made a covenant here. God is between us. Right? Um, that can easily become idolatrous. And we need to pay attention to that. What is it that we're focusing on? Are we focusing on the, the character of God and his heart and being a man after his heart, uh, a woman after his heart, or are we focusing on a, a rock that's in your pocket or a stump? Um, okay, so bigger picture here. The, the book of Samuel is a, couple, it's a story about Saul mm -hmm. and really his degradation. I mean, you can see right. it where he rises to power and then, you know, he has a definite break and then he, you know, he starts to get worse, worse, worse. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't see that with David so much. It's almost like he's always at a, a place of integrity or something and, and then he gets blessed and blessed and blessed. Ah, that's not, that's not true. What we're going to find out about David is, is he really gets drugged through the mud. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, okay, but by his own doing sometimes. He went slumber. I mean, in the end, he's a man after God's own heart, right? And we need to ask that question. And Karen asks me this all the time. I'm trying to figure out if he's going through ups and downs and stuff, too, because I don't. Well, and, and yeah, he has his ups and downs, right? And you say, well, he's just human, right? But Karen asks me this all the time. She says, now, here's a man after God's heart. And. How many wives did he have? Um, who did he kill in anger? Right? Um, let's, let's talk about how he dealt with his family. Right? Um, and so we're going to find out all these things about David that to us look absolutely, I mean, this is, in fact, an R-rated soap opera. And we're thinking, how can this guy represent God at all? Now remember the major themes in Samuel are the prophet, the priest, and the king, and how they uh, relate to each other. And actually what you see is you see the emerging concept of Messiah, God's anointed, um, God in the flesh being presented uh, to not just rule from heaven, but to actually rule on earth. And that he rules as uh, God being king, and so we understand this. This is what's happening now. Uh, Christ has come. He came as a servant. He came to uh, provide, protect, and to serve. 
and he demonstrated that fully. When he returns, um, he will be doing the same thing, but that protection is going to mean the exclusion of things that we might hold dear because we hold on to sin. And he's going to say at that point, we already dealt with that. We're done. And we're going to see the severity of God expressed as he protects us, as he provides for us, and as he serves us. But we see the same theme all the way through. And in fact, you see the promise of Messiah in Samuel. So as we move through Samuel, you're going to see a picture of Messiah, not a picture of David. David shouldn't be venerated. And this is what, they still have David's tomb in Jerusalem. You go to David's tomb, and it's a Jewish um, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, it's one of their features. You know, I mean, Jerusalem's kind of like religious Disneyland, right? <laughs> and so you got all these different people from all over the world coming to Jerusalem for different reasons. And one of the reasons that the uh, devout Jews go there is because David's tomb is there, and they go into David's tomb, and they say their prayers, and they you know, do the different thing that they do. Um, it's interesting. I went to David's tomb because I wanted to see it. I went, number one, I didn't actually believe it was David's tomb. It was just some area that they carved out and said, David's tomb. And uh, so I go to this place, and I'm observing the religious practice, and their, you know, incredible religion. Guy turned around, about knocked me over with the alcohol breath, and then grabbed a woman that was standing right there in a very inappropriate way. I'm thinking, how can you go from worshiping God to defiling a woman in one second. It was a turnaround event. And I was like, wow, it just totally floored me. Um, So it isn't about David. It's about what it means to be a person after God's heart. And what you see, uh, Sean brought up the idea of type antitype last week, and that we have a type of Messiah in David. Not that he is perfect, but he's expressing that which is perfect uh, through different aspects of the way that he interacts with God and with God's people. And then we see um, what one who didn't have that heart looks like in Saul. Saul has been disqualified as king. And you actually see that disqualification in this passage. So uh, when we got to uh, where he goes to Ramah, right, he hears that, yes? I'm sorry, but I'm still really stuck on, is deception okay? Is deception okay? <laughs> uh, if you go back, God used deception. He used Samuel to deceive Saul to get David anointed as king. So then you're talking about, you know, the idols and things. So I'm wondering if it's the attitude behind the deception that causes it to be blessed or cursed. Because I'm really stuck on this now. Right. I'm, I'm so guilty of using deception to get something done that I think is good. We, 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 uh, and, and this is what came up last week. Do the ends justify the means? Right? Um, and this is an area that's even more confused today because when you start dealing with deception, you're dealing with truth, right? And uh, which is why everybody in here should go to the Truth Project because you spend a lot of time thinking about truth and what it says about it in the Bible. I have seen that. It is excellent. I'm going to do it again. It is excellent. But today, truth is redefined. Yeah. My truth and is different than your truth. 
we no longer have uh, a rigid definition of what is true and an accurate expression of reality. And the reason why is because God has been thrown off as truth. If you throw out God, you have no, no uh, foundation for truth. Um, because then it becomes relative. It becomes an expression of case law, which is what happens in, uh, in our courts today. It's not based upon what uh, is truly right or truly wrong, according to God's definition, but rather what is practiced among people groups. And that means that can change over time. And so, um, Bill Clinton, the classic postmodern president, says, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Monica Lewinsky. That was the quote. Okay. And he comes back later, after he's been impeached, still serving as a leader, right? And says, I'm sorry, I lied. I redefined the word. Right? Uh, he never admitted full capability. Nonetheless, he, he did show some kind of remorse over the fact that his presidency was significantly diminished in power because people had no confidence in what he, what he said. Um, and that's one of the problems with, with truth. Are we taking a stand on something that really is true? Um, and where do, how do we know that that's true? And if so... Um, is there a time when God would uh, have us deceive in order to accomplish a greater good? I think he has conceded it. That's what was expressed last week. And I, I put uh, um, lying or deception, um, falsifying, false, falsifying truth claims, in, in three different categories. Um, the first category was uh, what we would call fiction where we tell a story. And it may be based on a true principle, but the details of the story are fictional. So we see that in parables in the Bible. Jesus is telling a story, um, and you can tell when he's giving uh, an accurate portrayal of, react, of reality when he uses people's names. He says there was a rich man and Lazarus. Right? And he explains then this larger truth in a very personal way. But then when he's telling a larger moral story, um, he will use a parable that has uh, a more, uh, I, I use the word corporate a lot, uh, expression rather than a personal or individual expression. And the, the story is not invalidated by the fact that it's fictional because the principle is true, right? And we do that all the time. And it's like, well, are we lying? David Jeremiah this morning pointed out that John Jacob Astor, when he went down with the Titanic, mm -hmm. that the men supposedly were going to go on the boats as well, right. that somebody fired a shot to prevent them. That was not the case, that none of the men wanted to go. They wanted to make sure all the women and children were in those lifeboats. Right. And they did that change because nobody would have watched the movie otherwise. Right. Now that's, that's of a different kind, mm -hmm. where we've taken it from humor um, to actual harmful, yeah. where we've changed the nature of reality. And this is what happens on Wikipedia today. You can actually rewrite history. 
And, uh, and all you have to do is get the consensus of a few people. And you can do it with an agenda. And it's uh, buyer beware. You better know what you're reading and what the sources of it are and be able to interact with a body of material that is so great that almost nobody can comprehend it today in order to truly determine, discern what the truth claim is there. That's actually hurtful. So you have humorous or a moral story. You have uh, hurtful or malicious deception. And then you have helpful deception, which is the one that um, we brought up last week, Corey Tendum. Mm-hmm. In order to preserve life, told a lie. And she said, you know, it's really easy lying to the Germans. Because her heart was for God's people. And yet that was clearly deception. And it wasn't about a moral story. But it wasn't with malice. So how do you, how do you address that? I think one of the issues we have is, is understanding the nature of this literature to begin with. This is the form of prophets. This is prophetic writing that no. we're reading. We tend in the West to look at it as historical narrative. Right. In, in which we can then sit there and just look for a, uh, uh, a positive or a negative outcome. And, that, and we want our heroes painted with a white hat, you know, with a guitar leaning against a rock so we can sing these. Right. Done, you know, the, the whole nine yards, where the reality of it is, like you pointed out, especially first and second Samuel, what we're working here is the seed of the woman, the one who dwells in the tent of Shem, the one who's going to be the king from the land of Judah, the one who's going to be the descendant, you know, of, of Abraham. We're working on the Messiah, and David fulfills this, but leaves us wanting that perfect. Exactly. We recognize the shortfalls in David, and um, and that's there for a reason. That means that God put within our heart an expectation of the good king. We wouldn't have. We wouldn't be so upset that uh, Michal deceived or that David failed, except that we know that there is a better way in God's kingdom that doesn't happen you have a good king ruling and and this has no place and the reason when we uh, and, and I'll get to you uh, when we talked about ethics last week and looking at is there Corey Tendum is a classic example of, a, of an ethical dilemma um, her sister uh, denied the ethical dilemma and said um, God can preserve without telling a lie. And so she told, told a strict truth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and God did preserve in some instances. And that really gave Corey reason to pause. It's like, well, you know, what do I, am, I, am I sinning? And then uh, she looked at the whole of the story and said, no, it is better, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it's better to do evil than be evil. Um, and she said, you know, it's better to preserve life than take the chance of, of losing life. I can't know. And that that's a result of being in a fallen world, so that's an ethical dilemma. She chose the greater good. What we see happening here with Jonathan and McCall is just that. This is an ethical dilemma, and they're choosing the greater good. Um, does that make it right? Does God endorse that? What God says is, man, it should have never been this way. 
wasn't that way from the beginning. And he repeats that statement throughout the Bible. You know, it's not supposed to be this way. There's this idea which um, is captured in the word shalom, which has to do with being according to God's design, complete, perfect, peaceful. Um, and it's the way that God intended it to be. And then there is the world, which is not shalom. And that's what causes ethical dilemmas. Um, so, if you ask me, I would advocate for doing the greater good. Um, but I can't say when you stand before God that that's the course that you should take. You know, because, uh, you know, what happens is then where do you draw the line? You know, how, how far can you go? Right. Well, and that's what we're faced with today. I mean, we're faced with a lot of ethical dilemmas all around us. And how do we navigate this water? And what I see happening in 1 Samuel 19 and 20 is that these people are confronted with ethical dilemmas. And uh, Jonathan is uh, faced with wanting to believe the best of his father and wanting to believe the best of his friend. And the two are not reconcilable. And he has to come to uh, where his loyalty lies. He is the crown prince. And so that means that he is in line for the throne, and his father even reminds him of that. He says, you know, if you don't kill this guy, you don't reign. That's it. Your kingdom is at an end. So we're going to kill him. And he has a choice of being loyal to his father or being loyal to his friend. And he chooses loyalty to his friend uh, with no blood relationship and actually enters into a covenant with that's an ethical dilemma. And what you see happening is a revelation of what it means to be a person after God's heart. You see that in Michal's behavior. You see that in Jonathan's behavior. You see that in David's behavior. You see the antitypes of that in Saul. Um, and what it looks like not to be a person after God's heart. To be only interested in self. And so as we move through this soap opera... Um, we want to pay attention to where God actually does give his endorsement. And he gives that endorsement in showing the loving kindness of the Lord that we may not die. That's the phrase that I read in chapter 20, verse 14. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? And I think that's one of the key verses in here. You, know, you go through and you try and pick out, because this is a large section we took on this morning. What is the key? And the key is a person after God's heart is aligned with his will and his law. So if I go back to uh, Psalm 40, and I know I'm over. Uh, grant me 20 seconds and then I'll shut up. <laughs> this is uh, what it says in Psalm 40. I can find it real quick, because it actually expresses exactly what it means uh, to be a man after God's heart. Psalm 40, uh, verse 8, and I'll back up to verse 6. It says, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. So there's a, an understanding of what it is that God actually considers important. 
And he says, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Interesting. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is within my heart. This is a, uh, written by David. <clears throat> understanding that God put him in that place for just such a time as that. To express perfectly the heart after God that is Messiah. Um, so with that plan, because um, there's a lot in here, and we got to unpack a little bit of it this morning, and we're going to wrestle with this issue, with these moral dilemmas all the way through. Uh, so there isn't an easy answer to some of these questions. Um, we all have to individually decide at some point, but we want to decide based on the full counsel of God's Word and what it is that He's trying to tell us. Let's go ahead and close with prayer. Lord, we just thank You for uh, the challenges that You've presented for us in, uh, in Samuel. And, uh, you know, as we look at David and we look at what you're paying attention to and what you would have us uh, walk away with, uh, not necessarily advocating some of the poor choices that we would make, uh, but understanding that you can use even the poor choices uh, and that you can use even the, the evil, jealous spirits um, to accomplish your good and to, uh, to actually further your kingdom is uh, remarkable to us, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we desire truly is, the reason we're here is because we want to learn what your word says so that we can be people after your heart, that we can have your law written up upon our heart. And, uh, Lord, we just ask that you would accomplish that, that your Holy Spirit would work effectively in us to challenge us uh, in the truth and to uh, give us the courage to, to stand in that and to walk in that. Um, Lord, we ask that you would be with uh, the uh, service this morning as we celebrate um, um, just a wonderful time with the Rosenbrocks that are here. And, um, Lord, just ask that you would be with Pastor Bob as he brings us your word. Ask that your spirit would work effectively in him. Lord, uh, we ask that you protect us and provide for us, and we thank you for serving us so wonderfully. Um, and ask that you would carry us this next week. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of this in your name. Amen. Yeah, I I will show up. So if nobody else shows up, we'll just sit down and read some of my favorite psalms. But, uh, but if you show up, we'll we'll do class.